How are you guys doing this morning? Good morning, good morning. Um, are you guys happy to be here today? I got to ask, because you want to you set your mindset. When you come to the house of God, and when you get ready to hear the word of God, you can't be going into it just thinking, well, I hope something happens here, right? I mean, when you open up the word, I mean, I, I, I tend to get like this, I think, even in my daily like devotions early in the morning. Sometimes I'm like, uh, I pull my phone out, and I go to my Bible app, and I'm like, all right, God, you better give me something. And I get convicted so many times because God's just like, oh, really? That's how you're going to come to me and hang out with me? You're going to hang out with your best friend or your wife and go, all right, what are we going to do? You know? Or are you going to be like, ah, oh, I'm excited to see this person. I can't wait to hear what they have to say, to speak into my life, to bless my life. And so when you come to church, remember to come with that mindset, yeah? Because if you come with a negative one, sometimes God can't even get through because you're so sour and you're so bummed and you're so tired or whatever. We got to be able to just go, yeah, I may feel this way, but God's going to do something here today. Amen? Amen. I, I may feel this way in the flesh and things might be like this, but I'm going to meet with God this morning. And so God's going to do something. And, and I'm expecting it, not hoping that it happens, but I'm expecting God you're going to do something. Is that good? So we're going to get into the word this morning. Um, we've been on our little series this month on mini church, the importance of mini church, right? We've been talking about um, that first week we talked about that mini church helps us seek the kingdom of God above all else. It's that little pit stop during the week when we had a good weekend service and we're fired up on God and then the world's beating us up and halfway through we get back in there with some other good godly friends and we're like, hey, let's remember to keep God first and foremost in our lives, right? And then the second thing we talked about was iron sharpens iron. The other benefit of mini church is that you get with other people, they're going to work on you. They're going to like bless you. They're going to challenge you, convict you, pray with you. They're going to build you up. We need family. Jesus didn't come to the planet on his own and say, I'm the son of God, so I don't need any friends. He said, where's my 12 boys? We're going to hang out. We need each other. And he hung out with people all the time. And then we talked about last week being doers of the word, not hearers of the word. Was that a good one for you guys last week? That says basically when we read the truth of the word of God and we, we let it get into our lives, we better show that it's working. We better give the proof because people need to see that God is real. And it's not a religion, but it's a relationship with a mighty living God. Amen? Amen. So this week, we're going to end it up. And what we're talking about this week is if you take your notes out right there, we're talking about enlarging your house and what that means. It basically means um, what we're going to talk about here this morning, I hope, is to impart a little vision into your lives, a little bit of vision that says, get beyond your comfort zone, where you're at, where you live right now, what your life is like right now, because now that you have God, you're expected to flourish. And as your life flourishes, it's supposed to reach out to other people and be a blessing to other people. And so we are supposed to disciple others, multiply what God's doing in our lives into the lives of others, reproduce what God is working in our life into the lives of others. How it relates to many churches? We are supposed to be continually multiplying and, and reproducing our mini churches. That we should constantly be growing because mini church is so good and that circle of friends is so great, but it's not just for us, right? It's for other people because they need what we have as well. And so I want to show you a video real quick. Um, you guys are going to recognize the guys in it. It's uh, Pastor Trevor, our worship leader, worship pastor, creatives pastor, all the stuff that he does, and Tim Veeling. And it's a, it's a pretty neat video. So... Check out the video screens and then we're gonna talk about the Word of God and how it relates. Hey church, I just wanted to um, share my experiences with Mini Church with you guys and just a little bit of background how, how important Mini Church is to me. Um, I grew up in this church, I've been in this church for 11 years plus and uh, Mini Church is really where I got the calling for being the worship pastor of this church. and. That's where I learned how to play guitar, where I learned how to, to sing <laughs> and everything. About a year ago, I started a mini church 
um, for college age slash young couples. Uh, me and my wife, Sarah, um, felt uh, just a need because our church is growing so much and there's so much new people that we wanted to really plug those people in and get them connected and um, just share life with them. And half a year through the mini church, we went to an open house and I met this guy, Tim Beeling, um, just looked like a dirty bum. I needed friends <laughs> and uh, got talking to him. We went out to dinner the next weekend, invited him to mini church. He loved it after he came, got to know him a little bit better. Me and uh, my wife, Sarah, went on, on double dates with them both and um, just really found that they had just amazing uh, gift of leadership on their life. And we knew that they could really not only be uh, mini church shepherds, but really could be called to ministry and just could speak into people's lives. So when Trevor initially asked uh, me to consider uh, starting my own mini church, I was, I couldn't even fathom the idea. I had just kind of bought into the whole mini church idea because previously I, I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, I really enjoyed the people, um, just I felt like I was part of the group and I was very comfortable and um, I loved it. Um, so when he when he initially asked, I was I was kind of hesitant, but at the same time, um, I could see the value in um, what the church is trying to accomplish, opening the door and the opportunity to for other couples and um, other people to get um, connected and, and plugged in and get the same feeling that that I had experienced. We ended up agreeing to do it. Um, we, we started our own mini church. Um, God blessed it amazingly. It, it has grown tremendously. So our mini church grew so much that I started thinking back to and how important it is to um, get people connected and reproduce mini churches. We recognized leadership qualities in Dustin and Rochelle and we asked them if they would be interested in reproducing from our mini church and starting their own and they agreed. So they ended up starting their own. Uh, their mini church has grown since then. Our mini church continues to grow. So more people are being connected now. More people are getting that uh, family atmosphere. When you reproduce and when you um, start a new mini church, you don't lose those friends. You're just adding new friends into your life. It can't stay the same forever. If you're gonna be living out what Jesus called us to, to do, you gotta be willing to go beyond yourself and to really find the people that need that um, sense of community and that sense of um, accountability and just someone to share life with and someone that could partner with them um, in prayer and to just be there, have their back on in life. And really that's what I think many churches for. Is that good? Um, you see, the thing we're talking about today, enlarging your house, is what is your house? Your house is your life. It's your sphere of influence. It's who you are. It's the blessings that you've received from God. And that's a good place to be, is living in the house of God and knowing who you are. But the Bible tells us that it's not just about us, that we're supposed to invite other people into the house of God. We're supposed to have vision to touch other lives and to keep reproducing. How many people, just looking at that video, have lives have been touched and the mini church and the relationships formed and all that, 
because Trevor originally decided like it's not just enough for us. Let's launch another one. So now Tim reaches all that whole that whole other group of people, right? And then now they're launching out to Dustin and Rochelle and more people are getting blessed and they continue to multiply. It's that we need to have this kind of in our heads, this multiplication aspect that it's not just about us here in our house, but God enlarge my influence so I can touch this world, so I can bring more people into the house of God. And, and that's kind of where we're at. Um, I want to read you guys a verse out of 2 Corinthians. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, the New King James Version says it like this, and this is Paul, um, who had originally started the church in Corinth, and then um, it was off to the races, and then he left. He was doing missionary work elsewhere, and he heard the church was kind of getting off track. Remember, we did the whole Corinthians, uh, first and second Corinthians study, and he's writing letters to them to encourage them. So he writes to them in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 14, and he says, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors. Because we're not, we aren't boasting about what other people did in your midst to build you up. But we are having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere, in our house, in our area of influence that God has given us. In other words, as we reach out to other people, our area of influence grows and we become that much bigger of a blessing in life. So any of us in this room right here, we might say, hey, I have a pretty good life and, and God's doing some good stuff and I'm reaching a couple other people. I'm making a difference in this world. But what God is calling us to today in scripture is if we have a mindset that says you can still go bigger than that, you can even do more in you. There's, I, I, I like how um, Tom, I heard uh, Pastor Tom preach this sermon in the earlier service today. He said, there is a better Pastor Tom that's waiting out there somewhere. And the more that I open up my life, I get to walk into that role and become, and he said, the better father, the better friend, the better husband, the better pastor, the better all of that. That God has more for us if we would just have the mindset of saying, I'm going to get there. I'm going to enlarge my tent. I'm going to get ready and prepare for the new growth. I'm going to touch more people in this world. Any of you guys ever take the time to think about your own funeral? Anybody ever, ever just crossed your mind? I don't know. In the past few years, I've been thinking about my own funeral a lot. Like, and I want it to be cool. You know, I want it to be that like when people talk about me and I'm dead and gone and where my ashes are scattered, you know, in the waves somewhere or whatever, that I want it to be cool. I want, when I have my funeral, I want to put the fun back in funeral. That's what I'm saying. I want people to, <laughs> I want people to go to my funeral and I want it to be a celebration that like, man, this guy Carl was good. and This is what he did in my life and my life changed because of this and all of this. And be, because, you know, we always say the only thing you can take to heaven with you is other people, right? The only thing that really makes an impact and we're talking about today is expand your area of influence so it's not just about you. Oh, my house and, I, and God blesses me. But God's going, I want to reach this whole wide world. And I want to have a funeral that people are just like going, man, this is what he did for me or, or he said these words to me or he came and helped me that time or spoke this or whatever. I hope that it's like full of testimonials of a life well-lived, a life that was a life that went big for God and God's purposes and not just about, oh, he was rich and he acquired that and he was good at this or whatever. No, I want it to be about touching other people. Don't you? Isn't that what a real funeral, like, I mean, that's when you go to the funerals and you're like, wow, they, you know, they accomplished a lot in the business world. Oh, that, you know, that's cool. But the, the good ones are when people just get up there and grab the mic and just start going and there's tears and there's laughter and it's like, we're making a difference in the world when we touch other people's lives. Amen? And so I, I do. I hope that my funeral is awesome. I hope that it's cool. I hope that it's not all downer and bum and wearing black. I hope it's like loud, ugly shirts and ah, yeah, Carl was so fun and he, he did something in my life and he changed my life. I hope that we can all leave that kind of a legacy. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here this morning is um, 
Enlarging your life, enlarging your house um, and what that means because your house really is part of God's house. And look what it says. Um, there's, there's three points we put in the notes right there. The first thing is to flourish in the Lord's house. Psalm 92 verses 12 and 13 says, speaking of the, the Christians, the godly, those that, that, are, that are worshipers of our Lord, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of God. First, we've got to understand this, that when we're talking about what, what is my house, well, it means that before you knew Jesus, you lived in this little world, and, and there was, there was a, a little bit of like success and things you saw. Oh, this is cool. This is neat. This is nice. Now, when you met Jesus Christ, and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and you accepted the love and the forgiveness and the redemption and the passion and the, the moving of his Holy Spirit in your life, it's like, God goes, oh, you're in that tiny little pot, and that was kind of good, all right, I guess, but you know what? I'm going to move you over here, and I'm going to plant you in my house, and now watch what's going to happen. And now it's like those roots grow down deep into him, right? And we, we lay our foundation on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and suddenly we're growing up, we're flourishing to the point, not only are we growing bigger and stronger, right? You guys remember the redwoods? But we're dropping fruit like crazy. That there's, there's stuff happening in our life that it's not just about us anymore. Now we're like, we're starting other things. In other words, we're investing in other people. We're reaching out. We're making a bigger difference in the world. So the first thing we got to see is my house basically means I'm living in God's house now. And I'm expected to flourish because it says it in those verses two times. Here's what the word flourish means. It means literally to bloom, to blossom, to break out in new growth and in new life. I don't know if you guys know this, but on Friday nights here, Friday night service is pretty fun in this church. I mean, you guys are fun, don't get me wrong, but Friday nights has like this, this different vibe, this like, I don't know, there's just, it's just this mix of people. I just, it's, it's a real different Friday night, yeah? Some people you guys have been, okay? So I'm not saying everybody leave here and go to Fridays, although it's cool. But Friday nights is a real interesting um, crowd in here. We've got all the, the junior high ministry over there, so there's a lot of the junior high parents and stuff, and then there's people from all walks of life. But this section primarily on Friday nights is, and it's not reserved and it's not sectioned off, but this is kind of the, the section over here where you guys are at, where all of our friends from the Hinamaka Drug and Alcohol um, Treatment Center right down the road, they all come. And what they do is they get like a, a, a field trip pass or whatever. So one week, um, anybody from, from the center that wants to come and come to church can sign out like as a field trip. And they're chaperoned up here by some of our, our staff and they get to come to church. So one week we have the guys, the next week we have the girls, because they found that if they let them all both go together, they sneak off and stuff happens. So <laughs> I'm just saying, that's what happened. So they, they, we got to do it, we got to play by the rules, right? So we got to have the guys one week and the girls one week, you know? And um, so, but they come up here and they like really always tend to, like, tend to sit in this section. And I talked to one of the guys one week and he said this, he goes, hey, Pastor Carl, I don't know if you know, but I just want to share some stuff with you, but I've been coming to this church for a couple years now, and it used to be I would sit over there and I would come up with all the guys in the, in the program, and I was trying to get my life together. And he goes, you know what? Now it's been like a year or so later. Now um, I'm out of the program and everything, and I'm still going to church, and now I get to go back into Hinamalka, and I teach classes to people to get their lives straight and get cleaned up. And I was like, yeah, that's like a victory, right? What is that? That's, I was planted out there in the world. Now I'm planted in the house of the Lord. I'm flourishing. I'm growing. And now he's reaching out to other people. So I was like, hey, that's cool. That's praise God. He was like fired up. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. And then he says this. He goes, I don't know if you noticed, but it used to be we would sit in this little section and it would be just like kind of, there's about 10 of us or 15 of us who would come up every week. And I go, yeah, yeah, I know that. He goes, you know, now I look back and the whole section's full. There's only about five people in that whole section now that 
that's all along the side here, that aren't people that went through Hinamaka. In other words, he says this, people from Hinamaka that started coming to church here found Jesus. They get out of the drug and alcohol treatment program. They keep coming back to church, bringing their friends, bringing their families, flourishing in the house of the Lord. And now we've taken over this whole section of all of the people that have found God and have found the new life in Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? He goes, it used to be a couple guys. Now look at us. We're living the Lord's plan for our lives. I love that story. But that just tells me this is you get planted in the house of the Lord, you're going to flourish. But you better expect to flourish. Like I told you, come in here this morning, expect to hear from God. If you're truly planted in the house of the Lord and, and following Jesus Christ and loving him as your Lord and Savior, you can expect that your life is going to flourish. Did you know that? You can actually wake up every day going, today I'm going to get a little bit better than I was yesterday. Today I'm going to be a little stronger, a little more mature. I'm going to reach out and do more things. Matthew 13, 23 says this. Jesus had given the parable of the four soils, right? Three, three, uh, the seed fell on three different types of ground, the hard ground, um, the one where it was shallow and rocky, and then there was the, the soil where it was good, but the weeds choked it out. And then he goes, then there's a fourth soil where the seeds, the word of God was planted. Then he says this in, in Matthew 13, 23, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. See, you know what that tells me is... Those of us that are planted in God and we live in God's house, we can expect that there should be a harvest. We should expect to flourish, that God actually expects us to flourish, not just get by. You know, your life as a Christian is not just meant to be like, well, now I found God, so I got a little help. I'm just going to hunker down and just be, try to be safe until heaven comes. I'm just going to survive. And God's going, that is not the life I have planned. That's not the picture of what I have planned. You get planted in God's soil, in his house, you're going to produce a harvest 30, 60, even 100 times as much. So there's an expectation on our lives that John 10, 10 tells us because of Jesus, we now have life in abundance. We have life to the fullest. And we need to wrap our eyes around that kind of that mindset that says good stuff is, is supposed to happen to me. I need to expect that. But as we go along with that, what we're talking about today, enlarging your house is that there's an expectation that you would share the blessing of the house. Does that make sense? There's an expectation that your life is so good and you're growing and God's doing so much. God's put an expectation on us as, as to this. You live in my house now and it's a good house and it's a big house and there's all these benefits of living in a big house. You know what part of the benefits is? There's room for more people in this house. And we have an expectation on our lives that we're being blessed, we live in this house of God. We're supposed to invite people over to our house and let them taste the hospitality of what this house is all about, right? How many of you guys like love to barbecue and invite your friends over or just, just hang out? We love to have our friends over, right? Hawaii especially, it's just like, everybody come and let's go hang out on my carport and my TV's out there and let's just go, you know, right? It's Hawaii, everything is hospitality and bring everybody over. And so with the house of God, it's the same thing. God's going, I've blessed your life, I've done all of this stuff. There's an expectation that you're gonna share the blessing of the house. So you go and you find some people you want to invite in and build some relationships. And this is where we're, we're kind of going with this is um, my wife and I have a friend that lives in this really cool, she, it's actually an apartment, but she lives down like Waikiki side right on the water. And it's just an epic location. There's surf out in front. She has a pool. There's like a nice beach and all of this stuff. I'm not going to tell you where it is because it's my secret spot. But 
she has like, you know, she's invited us to the house. And the thing is, she's got this awesome location where she lives and everything. And yet she's going, come over, come hang with me, come experience all that I, that I have, like right in front here and all of this stuff. And there's like this, this expectation. I live in this great place, but I want to share it with my friends. And my son had two of his little buddies over the other day. He's in sixth grade, right? And um, he had them over after school. And they're playing, and they're doing what little boys do, running around, going crazy, irritating everybody. And our, our, our complex has a pool, right? And so they all went to the pool. It's freezing cold. They don't care. You know, they're in the pool. Their lips are blue. And they're like, yeah. And um, they came back to the house, and one of the kids said this, oh, Isaac, your house is pretty good. You said it was lame, but it's actually good. There's like a lot of stuff to do over here, right? We, we live in townhouses by the lake, so they got to go by the lake and go exploring and go to the pool and run around in, in our house, you know, townhouse and all this. But I heard the, the kid say that, and I just thought, that's so funny, because that's us sometimes, right? We live in the house of God, and we forget, we take for granted all the blessings that we have in our house. We forget to invite other people into the party. We forget that other people are going, man, what you got over there, that, that relationship with God, that, that's cool. It's better than I thought it was. I want to get in there. And God basically expects us, if you're planted in the good soil, you're supposed to produce a harvest 30, 60, 100 times more. We're supposed to reach out to other people. You guys get what I'm saying here this morning? It's a challenge to us to not just go, oh, we love Hope Chapel Kanoe Bay, our house, our, our church is so good. But it's that we would say, how do we get all of our friends and family to know about this place? And not just this place, but any church on the island, in the state, in the nation, in the world, the house of God, the family of God, is that we're supposed to roll the red carpet and welcome other people in. The house of the Lord, it's not just for me. The house of the Lord, it's not just for you. It's meant to be shared. We're supposed to be expanding, expanding those boundaries. Um, Isaiah 54, verse 2 is where I get this, this, um, the title of this sermon, The Enlarger House. And Isaiah 54, verse 2, here's, here's kind of the context. The prophet Isaiah is talking to the Israelites, the Israel nation, God's chosen people. And God is basically saying through the prophet Isaiah, hey, I want to bless you. Get ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow you. I'm going to grow your people. I'm going to bless your life. So get ready for the blessing that's going to come. You're going to grow in size and in blessing and in favor of the Lord. But you got to make yourselves ready to grow. In other words, enlarge your house. And the, the symbol is that people in scripture time recognized was a picture and a symbol, an illustration of nomadic shepherds that would go around and they live their life living out of tents, right? They'd go and they'd herd their sheep and they'd do whatever and they'd stay for a while and they'd set up tents and their, their family and everything and then they would move to the next place. So they're always in tents. And so this verse really in um, other uh, translations says enlarge your tents, it says expand. What it's referring to is if you're the shepherd and you've got your family and your sheep and your whatever you've got, and that's all you can fit. And then you're going, wait, I'm expecting um, more, more children. We're, we're having more children. Or some family members are coming in. Or I acquired some more animals and livestock. And so what, what you would understand is it's time to expand the tent. It's time to bring the walls um, wider. It's time to add on some stuff because you're about to get blessed. And you're going to have a bigger house and a bigger sphere of influence because God's going to bless you. So he says this. Elijah, or sorry, Isaiah says this in verse uh, 2 of 54. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense. And I look at it in regards to what we're talking about here is you, some of us are already living pretty big lives for God. Like I, I was going to make a point here to say, go big for God. But here's the thing. A lot of us are already going pretty big for God. We're experiencing the goodness of God in our lives. We're trying to be, live big lives and do good things in this world and, and make a difference. But the call here is to say, yeah, you might be already doing big, 
but go bigger for God. Go bigger for me. There's more blessing that's out there available that more people at your funeral are gonna be blessed because you walk through their life if you would just realize, yeah, I'm going big for God, but I can go bigger. How many of you guys know that God wants to do more and better things in your life tomorrow than he's doing today? Yeah. Think about that. Do you believe that? Because we gotta walk in that. We can't just go, I've arrived. It's good enough. That's cool. Jesus' command was to keep going out there, keep doing, not just hearing, go bigger for me. Yeah, you've gone big and that's awesome, but did you know you can even do more? Did you know you can reach more people? You can get more of a blessing in life? And I believe it's go bigger. We're commanded to multiply. Actually, this is the place where it's okay to supersize, right? You guys see the movie Supersize Me? And it makes you just want to throw up, you know, like literally. McDonald's, you're like, oh, right? And then a week later, you're like through the drive-thru again, right? It only lasts so long. That was me. I'm like, I'm never eating there again. I'm so hungry. I need a Big Mac right now. But we always see all that stuff like, oh, don't supersize it. Don't do all this stuff. In this particular instance, God is actually saying, supersize your life. Go bigger than you've ever gone before. Enlarge your house, your boundaries, your sphere of influence, your place of blessing, because I've got more stuff for you. You can actually change this world if you're, you'll step out and go a little bit bigger. And here's what I know is, when we step out and we do that stuff, it can be uncomfortable. You guys know that? It can be uncomfortable, but it can be hard. Here's a reference I have. Jesus commanded his followers in Matthew. He said, go out into, the all, into all the world making disciples of all nations, all men, right? Baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. His command was, hey guys, now that I'm going back up to heaven, you early Christians in the Jerusalem church, specifically talking to those guys in the first part, right? Go big, go to all the world, give them my message. And you know what the Jerusalem church did for the first seven chapters in Acts? They disobeyed and they stayed right in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if they were like trying to be rebellious or whatever, but they're going, man, this is cool. Let's all hang out together. This is community. Let's reach out to each other. Let's just stay in Jerusalem. And they got to the thousands, it says. They were the first mega church. And then they were blessing and all of this. But that wasn't Jesus' command. His command was actually go out into the world. Don't just stick around right in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until persecution came that they were kind of forced to get out. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, which is the surrounding world that Jesus had actually told them, hey, wait for my Holy Spirit to fill you with power and boldness, and you're going to go be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But at, up until this point, let's just stay in Jerusalem. And they stayed. But persecution came. They all scattered through the surrounding areas. Look what it says in Acts 8, verse 4. It says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. See, sometimes God's going to do something in your life that makes you a little bit uncomfortable because he wants his word to go out, because he wants to expand your life. He wants to expand your vision. He wants to make you a bigger blessing, but it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. They were happy staying in Jerusalem, and then persecution came, and they're just running for their lives. Oh, no, they're going to throw us in jail. They're going to kill us. Oh, we better get out there. But what they did was they remembered, oh, we're supposed to do this anyway, right? So everywhere they went, hey, you know about Jesus? Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can we work a miracle in your life? Hey, you know what the Old Testament scriptures? Everywhere they went, they began sharing. And that's why you and I are sitting here today in church. Do you guys realize that? Because those original Christians went bigger and decided to get out of Jerusalem and to share it with the rest of the world, we're a byproduct of that. And I hope you understand that, that this is what God is calling us to. But it does 
get a little uncomfortable. But here's, here's something I wrote down in my notes just, just for me to share with you is this, is we have to get out of the house to enlarge the house. If you're thinking in your life right now, I want to enlarge my house. Well, here's the one thing you got to understand is you have to get out of the house to enlarge the house. When I remodeled my, my home a, a few years back because we had another kid and we were needing more space and everything, we had to get a little bit uncomfortable. I had to bring in outside people to come in and, and do all this construction that I didn't know how to do. I had to get out of my little comfort zone and be willing to be out of the house for a few days, out of my comfort zone, out of the skill level that I knew to bring in Faith Building Company, right? That's our pa Pastor Lance, our, our men's pastor. That's his building company. Awesome guys, Christians. You guys need a home remodel. I recommend them. There's my plug, Faith Builders. But um, they came in, and I had to get uncomfortable, and I had to get out of my little zone to let them enlarge my house. And there's times in our life when God says, you got to get a little uncomfortable if you want to enlarge the kingdom, if you want to enlarge your house. Here's what I mean by that. Anybody ever watch that show, What Not to Wear? On TLC, come on, what not to wear? It's the one where they do the fashion makeover on these people, right? And, and it's, it's funny because it's not even the person um, who's getting the makeover who's volunteering. It's usually like their coworker or their brother or something, and they're like, hey, what not to wear, guys? Can you come and do something about my mom? Because she's this, she dresses like it's 1962 still, and somebody got to help her, right? Or your, you know, your friend or whatever, and, and they, so they call them up. So the, the, the show will come in, and they'll film this person, and they go, oh, yeah, they do dress bad. That's terrible, you know? And they film you at work and in the family, and they, they look at how you dress. And then they do this. They make you a deal. They say, hey, we noticed your style. Not working. Um, <laughs> can we offer you $5,000 to go shopping and we will help you buy clothes. We'll give you a, a makeover, makeup, and hair, and everything. We'll, we'll teach you how to have a new style. But here's what you got to do. You got to give us your whole entire wardrobe, and you got to throw it away on national television. You got to throw all that stuff in the rubbish can. You guys seen this show? You guys know what I'm talking about? And so they have to do this. And so in the midst of going, oh, 5,000 bucks, they're going to make me over. This is awesome. Fly you to New York and do a complete overhaul on your fashion sense and everything. But at the same time, they're going, oh, so let's look at your old clothes. And they're pulling them out, and they're like, see these stretchy pants with like the stirrups and the weird stuff? You know, I don't know. I just learned that recently, stirrups. And that's the things that connected the bottom, right? It was cool in the 80s or whatever, 90s. Uh, or, you know, or whatever it is that you wear. And you're like, tie-dye, really? You know, like, and so they, they bring out all this stuff, and they go, this is your stuff. And they're like, yeah. And they go, well, we're throwing it away. And so they throw it away. And people are literally going, no, that's, that's my identity. That's my, that's my safety net. That's, my, oh, that's what I wear every single day. You know? And they're like, we know. We can tell. And so <laughs> they throw it away. And just to give you guys an example, but the people on the other end of it, after they go through the process, they're so excited because they got this new look. They go back to their hometown. They, they walk the runway and they show everybody. And people are crying and shocked. Like, oh my gosh, that's you? Oh, I should have dated you. I, what happened? Right? People are like, oh. And, and um, let me show you a couple of pictures of what I mean, the before and after. So you have those pictures? Check out this. Guess which one is before and which one is after, right? It looks like a totally different woman because it's like, oh, here I am. And then they clean up, makeup, hair, dress, everything. And she is stoked. She's like, I look good, right? Look at the next one. Another example. Here's a guy, right? Some of you guys are going, that sweater's actually pretty awesome, right? <laughs> but um, the turtleneck, you know, it's just the extra. But anyways, he looks kind of like just like frumpy or, you know, whatever. Like, no offense if that's your sweater, but... He looks a lot better afterwards. He's all cleaned up with his tie, and he's all in style and stuff. And 
these people are just like excited to be the new you. Here's the next one. Um, this one's pretty amazing. This actually, to me, at first I'm like, is that that lady's daughter? Like, but this is her before, and she just, she looks like, uh, Pastor Tom was joking, like, he goes, I think I had that girl in my junior high mini church, right? <laughs> she looks like junior high or whatever, and then she gets all cleaned up and professional and looks all good, and then there's some really drastic ones. Check out this next one, before and after. This is before and <laughs> after. <laughs> Get a little cleaned up. No, that's actually Pastor Frank and Pastor Trevor. I thought that would be funny to show because everybody is always going, I don't know which one is which. They go to Pastor Frank and they go, hey, great worship set today. He's like, what? What are you talking about, right? Before and after, it's just a little joke we have with our, our friends there. But here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is there's times in our life when God goes, I want you to expand your vision, expand your influence, expand your ministry, reach out, and we're going, that's super uncomfortable. I don't want to see my clothes getting thrown away. I don't want to do all this. But you know what the benefits are of that show? If you've ever watched that show, is the people, when they're made over, it's like their whole mindset, their whole life has changed. Their confidence rises up. They start thinking, you know what? I can apply for that job that I was trying to. I am going to go back to school. They make all these other life-changing decisions simply because it took a little bit of uncomfortableness in them to expand their vision. And there's times in our life when God is trying to say, get out of your house so that you can enlarge your house. Get out of the little comfort zone that you're in, that you're used to, and say, well, I only reach out to these people because that's all I'm really called to, to reach out to. And God's going, what about those other people I'm putting in your life over there? Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of stuff. We have to get a little bit uncomfortable to go, you know what, in order to build the house, to enlarge the house, I'm going to have to get out of this old house and move into something better. Amen? How many of you guys would say you're maybe in a place like that in your life right now, like God's kind of making you uncomfortable because he's calling you to bigger and better things? Nope, you guys are all awesome. Okay, and then I'm not, not even going to ask. You guys are amazing. I don't even need to preach to you. But as we do this and as we're reaching out to other people here, I want to make this point is that it's not enough just to say, well, I reached one person. I think that what we see, the theme, theme through scripture, is that we're supposed to pass on what we know and expand it, but we're supposed to empower the people that are under us that we've taught or helped or whatever so that they can do the same, that it's not enough that you just went one level deep. And you go, I made an impact in someone's life, that's it. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. This is Paul telling Timothy. Hey, you've heard me teach you. He says, now... I want you to teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to even others. And there's this thing that if God's calling you to reach out to someone, make sure you do it to your best. So it's not just like, well, I got the guy to church or I just I helped someone, I made a nice compliment. Do it to the point where the vision that you have to reach out to other people is caught by that person so that they could reach out to other people because that's how we're going to change the world is one person at a time. If I do what I do real good and I invest in one or two other people, but I do it so well that they catch the vision and the fire and that they want to reach out and bless and love on other people, introduce them to the house of God, then the potential is huge as exponentially it grows that within several years, I could be the one that kind of started the whole thing and be responsible for hundreds of people in the kingdom of God simply because I made sure that I imparted something into them that they caught hold of and they took it farther. Is that... Is that making sense? It's not enough. Um, I wrote this down. God kind of gave this to me. A good teacher produces great students, but a great teacher produces more teachers. That you want to be someone that passes on the vision so that others can grab it and pass it on to other people. 
That's really the only way we're going to change the kingdom is in my lifetime and my sphere of influence or whatever or yours, you're limited to just how many people you can actually reach. And to some of us, that's tons. And to some of us, that's a few. But it can be even more if you make sure that those people that you taught and you invested in, that they caught it and they're taking it to other people. So your sphere of influence, my sphere of influence is, I speak to several thousand people on a weekend, right? And people tell me I'm on the radio or the TV or whatever, and I try not to see that stuff because that freaks me out to hear my own voice or to see, or whatever. So I might have a bigger sphere of influence than you, and you're going, well, I don't really have that big of a sphere of influence. I have one person that God's called me to. Well, you know what? Praise God for that one person because that's your mission, that's your target. And what could that one person do if you empower them and give them the vision? Who could they reach? And then who could they reach? So one is good. I mean, we even said this for hope in the world. If you could just reach one. Remember we said this, each one reach one. In this one year where we're trying to be hope in the world, if every single one of us in church just made one other follower of Jesus Christ, we prayed, we witnessed to, we talked, we got one more person saved and into church, this church would double in one year simply by all of us just reaching one more person. So what I'm saying is whatever sphere of influence you have, whoever you're called to, to teach and to bring up in the Lord, do it well. Make it count. Do it for all it's worth because even if it's just one person, if they catch the fire, man, it could grow exponentially. I love, I love that video because it was proof of that. Trevor reached Tim. Tim reached Dustin and Rochelle. How far could it go? And we just keep on expanding that. Because what we're after is the third point in the notes says is basically build a house of legacy. Build a house of legacy, something that will last. Isaiah 59, 21 says, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them. That means it's not just going to get passed on and then it stops. My spirit will not leave them and neither will these words I've given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. See, we got to understand that God's saying, hey, I want my words and my heart and my vision to go out and to continue to go out if you, if you make it into a legacy. I want it to always last forever. More and more people are, are getting excited about being in the house of the Lord. Now look at it like this is, as I read this, and he's saying, my spirit will not leave. And the words I've given you is, we got to understand that why we're trying to enlarge our house is because really our house is God's house. And what a privilege and honor to be reminded that we're working for the King of Kings, that God, the creator of the universe, could actually see something in me that says, you little dirty human, Carl Moore, you are going to be used by me and you're going to accomplish great things for me because my spirit is on you because you live in my house. You can do big stuff. And how amazing that is to think, God, you could use me. I get to play into your vision. How good does that make you feel that you get to make your heavenly father, Abba, daddy, father, proud of you? See, my kids come to me all the time. My four-year-old right now, she's all about art. Suddenly, she just caught the bug, and she's drawing pictures all the time and painting stuff. And it's, here's mommy, here's you, here's our house, here's dog, here's the neighbors, here's the, and I'm just like, whoa, and it's like picture after picture. But here's what I love. She's not just sitting there at the table doing all these pictures for herself. Every one of them she brings into mom and dad because she's, she wants us to be proud of her. She's looking for their recognition to know that I'm making you proud, Dad. Look at what I did, right? And my daughter, too, she's so skilled at stuff on the computer and her dancing and her guitar, but she's always going, oh, Dad, did you see this one? Oh, look what I did here. They want to make me proud. 
And my son, he's, he's just like the wild one, right? He's filming all the, the videos and he's, he's doing the Harlem Shake video and everything. You guys seen that on YouTube? Go look it up, Harlem Shake. Him and his buddies like film this thing and, and I'm like, oh, what is this? And there he is with the wig on and he's dancing with a fan and I'm just like, what are you doing? But everything is always to show dad, like, dad, look what I made. I'm like, oh my gosh, why did you make that? But it's cool, you know, like I'm a good job, buddy. You know, you're using your skills. I don't know what he's going to grow up to be. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. <laughs> but I'm also so proud of him just because he's doing something and that he's seeking my recognition and he cares that, that I'm proud of him. And see, when we realize this thing about enlarge the house and some of, some of us are going, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to reach out to other people. I'm doing all right here. Think of how proud you're making your, your father in heaven when you're going, God, I'm getting a little uncomfortable and I'm, I'm going to reach that person. I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to expand the place of my tent, of my house, that all you're doing is God is up there in heaven just going, oh, Carl, I'm so proud of you. You make me so happy, son. I know you're limited. I know you're stepping out of your comfort zone. I know that's hard to talk to people in an elevator, you know, and the things like that that, I, that I'm doing, you know, and like last night I went out to a whole group of people that were like my wife's friends. That's kind of a big deal to me. I'm like, no, let me stick with people I know and all that. But just stepping out of those boundaries, I feel like there's an opportunity for me to hopefully reach more people, plant seeds, and expand the house of the Lord. Is that good? And so I want to I be able to build a legacy, but I got to remember that it's God's house Enlarging the house means enlarging the lives of others. It really means investing in other people. I was talking with my friend Jimmy the other week, and we were just reminiscing. Man, we've known each other for a long time. We went to youth group in this church together, and we look at all the people that were our leaders back in the day and all the guys that taught us how to be men of God and taught us how to be gentlemen and treat women right and, and how to like put God first in everything and to pray and to watch the words and the language that we use and just to, to be humble in all things and be respectful and all this. And we were like, we we're just kind of reminiscing on where's, where's all those guys, all those leaders, they implanted something in us. And, and we were talking, we said, you know, we don't remember one sermon that any of them ever taught us. Our youth leaders, our mini church leaders, our, our, our youth pastors, and all, we don't ever really remember one sermon, but what we remember is they imparted their life into us. They invested in us with their whole lives. We remember just the, the ideas, the lessons, the, the actions when we'd go out with them, go surfing or skateboarding or out in the town or whatever, when people wanted to scrap and the way that they talked people down and just, just all of those little life lessons because they took time to enlarge our lives that we're pastors here today because people invested in us and said, those people back then, those leaders said, my life's not big enough. I want to go bigger for God. I want to reach this little Carl Moore, this little Tom Landez. I want to like invest in their lives so that they become something bigger than even where we're at. And you know what the weird thing is? The sad thing is half of those guys aren't even with the Lord anymore. And it breaks my heart. It breaks our heart. And I'm talking with my friend Jimmy and we're just, we're so bummed and we're like, maybe now it's our turn to reach out to them and to help enlarge their lives again. And maybe God needs to put stuff on, on our heart to, to maybe expand the kingdom. But we're so thankful that they invested in us. Maybe we've got to invest back in them now and invest in other people. But it, it, we, we're told to leave a legacy by really investing in other people. Acts 2.47 is a simple verse, but basically it, it says, if you read Acts chapter 2, it talks about the community of the believers, that they invested in their lives in other people. They didn't just go to church together, the temples. They went to their houses together. They, they shared meals of joy and generosity together. They took communion together. They praised God together. They prayed over one another together. They were in, investing in people's lives, enlarging the lives of others, and the proof of it is in Acts 2.47. It says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. In other words, their house expanded and grew because they're investing in people. They're investing in one another. 
And I wanted to share something with you really quick. Uh, just a final kind of story is talking about legacy and leaving a legacy, that investing in other people, why it's so important, is um, there's this guy that I've been reading up on. Um, I kind of like his products and like what he does. His name is Arthur Guinness. He brewed beer. And <laughs> anybody familiar with Guinness beer? Come on. Ooh, in church. Look at all you guys. Busted. Just kidding. I hope you're not too familiar with them. But anyways, um, Guinness beer is the beer that, as Pastor Tom puts it, it's the beer that looks like shoyu. It's a beer that looks like soy sauce. It's so dark, right? But anyways, we know this guy, Arthur Guinness, for, oh, he's a brewer of beer in Dublin, Ireland, right? And he's that guy. But you read up on this guy and who he really was. There's the story, and people say it's a myth, but people say, no, this is really the truth, was he was a guy that back in, in um, Dublin, Ireland, back in the day, he was born in 1724. He died in 1803. Back in the day, water was really gross and contaminated, right, in, in Ireland and in Dublin. And people were actually drinking water, not knowing anything about microorganisms and bacteria and stuff. And the water was making people sick, and they were dying and stuff. So their answer was, let's make some gin. So people have something to drink. So they did. So gin, the gin joints, the gin houses. Gin was all the rage, but what it turned uh, Ireland into was a nation of alcoholics, right? Literally, there was like violence, there was abuse, there was, there was abuse of gin and alcohol and all that, and it was like bad. Crime was up and all this. So they're going, okay, water's bad. Gin isn't that great of an alternative here. And so basically, this guy, um, Arthur, Arthur Guinness, kind of said, well, I'm going to brew a beer. It's going to be a lot less in, in alcohol content. It's going to be healthier for you. And so he did this. And people were, yeah, I don't know if that's a true story. But here's what you really need to know about this guy is when you look at his life and his legacy, you start to believe that that probably was the case, that he's trying to bless people. When you get to know who this guy was and what he was all about. One of the things that we know about, about Arthur Guinness, I was reading some stuff. He's got a book and some, some different things. Is um, He was a successful brewer in Dublin selling a, a drink throughout the city that made people healthier and helped them avoid the excesses of the hard liquor that had done so much damage for so many decades. He was a strong Christian. This is what you need to know about him. And he was in church one day when the famous um, uh, a preacher came along, John Wesley, Methodist Church. And he was sitting in St. Patrick's Cathedral, and he heard John Wesley preach. And he basically preached a message, John Wesley, and that day that Arthur Guinness was listening. He was preaching to those that, that had money and those that had wealth. And he basically said this, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And it's a, it's a message John Wesley said is, use everything you can for the kingdom. And he said this in that sermon, your wealth is evidence of a calling from God. So use your abundance for the good of mankind. He's saying, use what you got and expand it to others, right? That's what we're talking about today, enlarge the house. Inspired by Wesley's charge, Guinness poured himself into founding the first Sunday schools in Ireland. I brew beer, but I'm also all about kids. It's like weird. Like, uh, Pastor Tom was saying, can you imagine our, our children's church? Yeah, we're uh, Hope Chapel Children's Church, sponsored by Budweiser. <laughs> that was a good one, I thought. That's good. You know, can you imagine? He's like, yeah, uh, this Sunday school built and sponsored by Guinness Beer, you know? But that's what he was doing. He started the first Sunday schools in Ireland. He gave vast amounts of money to the poor. He sat on the board of a hospital designed to serve the needy and bravely challenged the material excesses of his own social class. He was nearly a one-man army of reform. And one of the things that was amazing about Guinness, it says, Arthur Guinness added to all his good works by teaching his children, here's where we're talking about legacy, the values that he learned. His children then built the Guinness Corporation on the strength of their father's vision and faith, and this is what became 
became the great legacy of the Guinness family. The Guinnesses decided first that they could better society by bettering the lives of their employees. They became one of the most generous, life-changing employers the world had ever known. A Guinness worker during the 1920s, listen to what they, they, they uh, um, enjoyed in the 1920s, factory workers, stuff that had never been offered to factory workers in any corporation or anything before. A Guinness worker during the 1920s enjoyed full medical and dental care, massage services, How's that? How many are like, I'm working for Guinness right now, right? <laughs> Reading rooms, subsidized meals, a company-funded pension, subsidies for funeral expenses, educational benefits, sports facilities, free concerts, lectures, and entertainment, and a guaranteed two pints of Guinness beer a day. <laughs> How is that? Okay, this guy was about taking care of other people, right? It says, during World War I, Guinness guaranteed all of its employees who served in uniform that went off to war, he guaranteed them that their jobs would be waiting for them when they came back home. How many of you guys would think that would be awesome? You get right back into your own job. That's cool. Guinness also paid half salaries to the family of every person that served. He paid their families even when they were away at war. In fact, one of his heirs, one of his uh, family members later on in the 1890s, this is the legacy he built. We're going to stand for loving God, using what we got to bless society around us. In the 1890s, Rupert Guinness, a future head of the brewery, received five million British pounds from his father on his wedding day, which is about seven and a half million dollars, right? This is back in the, in the 1890s. Think of how much he just received money-wise. So he got all of this money from his father on his wedding day, Shortly after, he moved his new bride into a house in the slums and launched a series of programs that serve the poor. This guy says, I got all this money, but you know what? Me and my wife, we're moving down into the ghetto and we're going to give some of this money away. We're going to bless the society. And if you go to Ireland now, he's built churches, parks, hospitals, orphanages. Uh, his children, his grandchildren and went on and family members to become missionaries, preachers, politicians, and Christian leaders. He left this legacy. It says, this is what Arthur Guinness did when he claimed the highest purpose for his wealth and his beer. It's what Guinness heirs did as they built on the, their legacy of good and achieved astonishing prosperity through their craft while also doing massive good through their generosity. It's what is possible today for those of us who are willing to go outside the four walls of the church and apply a fiery Christian faith to the needs of their times. Isn't that cool? We're talking about legacy and leaving a legacy here. As we enlarge our house, we have the opportunity to leave a legacy of changed lives. And in God's book and in God's plan, that's the most important thing that matters in this lifetime, is that you'd be able to leave a legacy of changed lives. And I start to think, what kind of a legacy could I leave, live, live and leave behind? What kind of a legacy with your sphere of influence, where you're at right now? I know Jesus, and I could give that away. Who could I give that to? How many people could I reach in my lifetime? This guy, Arthur Guinness, we think he's remembered for the beer, but if you go to Ireland, you see his name on orphanages, on churches, on parks, on all these places, and that guy benefited the world. He benefited society because he said, this is what I do, but this is who I am, and this is who I serve. The motto for his life was something in Latin, and it, it means all for the hope of God, that, that all for the hope of God in me, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to touch people. Here's what I mean by today's sermon in larger houses. Take what you have, and give it to other people. You're planted in the house of God. You're meant to flourish to the point of bearing fruit and bringing other people into the house of God. Is that good? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray.
Lord, we thank you, Father, for being in your house and the fact that we do flourish and all the good things that, you, that life with you brings. But Lord, I pray that, um, that this sermon would be a message that says that we ought to be the opposite of selfish, that we ought to be people that are constantly giving away what we have, that we're people that have eyes to bless others, not just ourselves. Lord, it's, it's great that you've given us all that we have, but it's, it's meant to be given away. Every gift that you give us is meant to be shared. I pray, Father God, that we would make an impact. Lord, if, if this church ever were to go away in one day and we just closed up shop and went somewhere else, Lord, would the community even miss us? Lord, I pray that they would. I pray that we'd be making an impact in people's lives and in, in the area surrounding us where we're at, Lord, that, that people would be taking notice and that people would be finding you and be getting transplanted into the house of the Lord because of us and because of our lives. Lord, we would, we would steward well what you've given us and our, our influence would grow and expand, Lord, to include more people that need you out there. Lord, help us to be motivated to do that. I pray right now, Lord, that you would reveal to us names of people, faces specifically, that we need to reach out to as we enlarge our sphere of influence. Lord, show us those that we really need to have a passion for. Lord, we'd multiply the many churches. We'd multiply the kingdom of God just in, in making other Christians. Lord, help us not to be sitting here getting complacent with what we have, but always thanking you and giving it away. And if you're someone here this morning as we're praying, you're looking to connect with God in a real way. Maybe you're, you're feeling it in your heart right now. God's speaking. That's, that's him. That's the Holy Spirit kind of nudging you towards him. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to love you. He wants to bless your life. He wants to get you planted in his house because there's no better place to be. Better is one day you're in, in your courts, in your house, than a thousand days elsewhere. That's what scripture tells us. So we know that the house of the Lord is a good place to be. But for some of us, we're outside of that right now. We're separated from God. We, we don't really have that relationship. We don't have that walk of faith. But if that's you here this morning, you're kind of going, that's me, but I want that to change. I want to know God in a real way. I want to know his goodness in my life and his forgiveness. And I want to know that he has power to change and to, Lord, get me rid of all that baggage that I carry around. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. And if you're here today saying you want to connect to God and be in relationship with him and be really know that you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ and, and the wonderful blessings that are going to occur, I would love to say a prayer with you this morning. How we're going to do it is I'm going to say the words out loud and pray with you and for you. I'm going to ask that you would join with me in this prayer. You just pray it in your heart because God judges you on the heart. He expects us to confess with our mouth that we made the decision, but I think that, that comes in the second step. The first step is just between you and him in your heart to say, yes, God, I choose you. And so if that's what you want to do this morning to pray, to, to come into that right relationship with God, to know you're forgiven and you're free and that you can expect good things in your life, allow me to say a prayer with you. And if you're someone that maybe you feel like, oh, I used to know God a long time ago. I used to walk in that life and be planted in the house, but for whatever reason, I've walked away. I knew him as a kid or a long time ago, and I'm just not there anymore. And you feel like you need to rededicate and recommit yourself, then we're going to say a prayer for that decision as well. We're making decisions, hardcore, true decisions for Jesus Christ this morning. So if you want to join us in that prayer, please feel free to do that as well. What we're going to do in a minute here when I pray is um, I'm going to say the words for you. You disagree in your heart and you pray them to God. He'll change you from the inside out starting now. But I'm going to ask you one thing. Before we pray, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I'm just going to ask that if you want to say this prayer with me, you would raise your hand until I'm able to acknowledge you because I'm, I'm so stoked to be able to pray this prayer with you this morning if that's you. So I'm just going to ask. Everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed. But if you want to say that prayer, and when I count to three, you just lift your hand until I see you. And then I'll know that we're going to pray together and then we'll pray. So on the count of three, I'm just going to ask one, 
two, three. Just lift your hands if that's you. Come on, raise them up. I see one hand right over here. I see someone in the back, two people. I see three right here. Anybody else? I'm looking around. Come on, guys. This is God. He wants to meet with you. He wants to do good things in your life. He loves you. Praise God, Lord. Thank you for those people right now. I saw about three people in the room today. If that was you, go ahead and put your hand down. I just want you to pray with me this prayer in your heart. God, I'm here today. I need you. I want you. I understand that you're good. You've got a plan for me. You're bigger than me. You're better than me. You're, you're stronger. You're more powerful. God, I trust that. And I'm asking you right now, Lord, that you would begin to move in my life. That I'm saying yes to you. I believe that your son Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He died on that cross for my sin. And that he took all of that payment of guilt and shame and everything that I have that's separating from me from you. And he paid the price so that I could have that relationship with you. And then I know that he died and he went into the grave, but on the third day he rose again with the power to overcome death and sin and guilt and shame and loneliness and hurt and baggage and emptiness and all that I carry around. Lord, that you gave me freedom from all that stuff. So Lord, right now I embrace that. I believe that and I receive that. And not only that, but I'm going to live it. From this day forward, Lord, I'm going to get in my Bible, learn more about you, plug into church, maybe a mini church, grow in this life together with the family of God. Lord, I promise to get water baptized as an outward symbol of my faith. Lord, what you're doing in me right now, I'm dying to my old self. I'm being born again, a new creation, washed clean by your blood. Father God, I pray that you would give me all the power of your Holy Spirit in my life because I need some help, God. I don't want to be just saying yes to a religion right now. I want to know that I'm saying yes to a mighty, powerful God that can do incredible things in my life. So Holy Spirit, do whatever you need to do. I'm giving you permission. Let's go. Everything that you have for me, God, right now in my heart of hearts, I'm saying yes to, and I will follow you all the days of my life into eternal life with you in heaven someday. Thank you for loving me and calling me your child right now in this moment. In Jesus' mighty name, the church said, amen. Let's praise God for those people right now that said yes to Jesus. Praise God. Won't we all stand? Let's just celebrate with those people that met with Jesus right now. Just lift this up. You reign forever.